0: name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My dear sisters and brothers in Christ, what would it take you to make a radical change in your life? I think technically we're still in January, so I guess maybe some of your New Year's resolutions are still afloat. Maybe you made a radical change in your life already. So what was it that pushed you finally over the top to do something different? Whatever it was, I would be willing to bet that it required you to see something. Maybe you happened to see an old picture of yourself. And then you got a glimpse of yourself in the mirror and you thought, you know what? Enough is enough. Time for a change. Or maybe you've been at your job for a number of years now, and you've always been talking about leaving it and going off on a new venture, but it wasn't until you saw your new friend do the same, and how happy she was, and how excited she is for her work every day, and how successful she's been. That's what it took before you finally made that leap and blazed a new path. What would it take for you to make a radical change? Whatever it was, I'd be willing that, to bet that it took you seeing something, because this is what we say, right? Seeing changes everything. And Whatever it was that it would take for you to make a change, or whatever it took for you to make the change you have, I'm guessing that it was a little something more than what it took for Nathanael to make the radical change that he did. Our Gospel reading this morning from John chapter 1, the words that we just heard, is the account of Jesus calling some of his first disciples. In the section right before our account begins, Jesus calls Peter and Andrew to be his first disciples, and immediately after it, Peter encounters this man named Philip, and he says to Philip, come, follow me. Philip, we're told, immediately goes and tells his friend Nathanael, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Philip was right. That's who Jesus is. He is the one that Moses spoke about. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses told this to the Israelites. He said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. Bill was right. Jesus is the one about whom the prophets wrote. He is the Messiah, the one who would be born of a virgin in the small town of Bethlehem from the line of Abraham, descendant of King David, who would be the everlasting king of God's people, Israel. And yet, Nathanael's response to Philip's gracious and excited invitation has to be one of the more depressing, cynical, and skeptical responses given by anyone in Scripture who would later on then follow Jesus. Nathanael said, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Now, technically, I guess you could say that Philip or Nathaniel here asks a question, but it's not really a question, is it? It's more of a dare, a challenge. If you're kind of a language or a grammar nerd, this is the kind of question it's called a closed question, meaning you ask the question not because you want to engage in some sort of fruitful discussion, but you ask a question that elicits no discussion. It closes down every other possible answer for a discussion. No, that this, this question, so to speak, that Nathaniel asks really only expected one answer. Nazareth, can anything good come from their goal? Nothing ever has, and no one ever will. There's no hope, there's no potential, there's no excitement. All Nathaniel has is hardened cynicism. And yet, after only 19 words from Jesus, all of which have to do with seeing, Nathaniel radically changes his tune to, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King, of Israel, maybe something good can come from Nazareth, because you see seeing changes everything. So the question then becomes, what was it that Jesus said in only 19 words that would cause such a drastic change in the family? I mean, obviously it was pretty big. More than that, it must have even been miraculous, and technically it was. Jesus said to Nathanael, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. In other words, Jesus was referencing where Nathanael was and what he was doing right before Philip went up to him and said, We have found the Christ. Jesus was describing to Nathanael the five minutes before he met Jesus. Now, Jesus is obviously here showing what theologians call his omniscience, his all-knowingness. The fact that Jesus knew where Nathanael was and what he was doing without ever actually seeing him with his physical eyes, that's pretty impressive. But i got to say, of all the miracles that Jesus ever performed, this one is... uh, I mean to, to cause that kind of change in a person I mean if Jesus really wanted to show off his divine power then why didn't he like go all Old Testament on Nathaniel you know make it rain manna and quail from from heaven or maybe make uh, water gush out of a rock that would have been pretty impressive or if he wanted to show Nathaniel his his omniscience his all knowingness that Maybe dig a little deeper back into Nathaniel's life, something longer ago than five minutes? I mean, can you imagine if Jesus had said, Nathaniel, I saw you when you won the spelling bee in fifth grade? Or, Nathaniel, I saw you when you fell out of that fig tree when you were a little boy and broke your arm over at your friend Isaiah's house? That would have been something. Why was this so life-changing? I saw you under the fig tree. Well, part of it is understanding the purpose a fig tree served for first-century Israelites. You see, this is the place that you went to escape the, just the blistering heat of the Middle East. You wouldn't stay trapped in your house, you would go outside where you could feel whatever kind of breeze there happened to be that day, and you would do it sitting in the shade of a fig tree. But most of all, you went and sat under a fig tree to be alone, to be left with just your thoughts, to the point that going out and sitting under a fig tree almost became synonymous with a place for prayer, and where you went to meditate on the scriptures for God's people. I think it's hard for us to imagine what a place like that today would look like, right? Thanks to phones and technology, how often do you ever just stop and sit in silence without any distractions? I think more often we work extra hard to make sure that we do the opposite. We want to avoid complete silence. We don't like the silence. We don't don't like quiet time to think and ponder and pray. We prefer the mindless distractions. Because when you're alone in silence, all the pain and guilt and disappointing of your life can be pretty deafening. It's when you're forced to ask yourself the big questions of life. When you're left to, to stand there face to face with the things that are breaking your heart and wearing you down. When you're in a place like that, well you're you're sitting under a fig tree. And so you could say that the fig tree is this place, I think, where you are the most genuine. You. You're you not out in public, covering yourself up and projecting who you want people to see. But you're just you. So what would a man like Nathaniel, a man that Jesus described as being a true Israelite, a man in whom there is nothing false, literally Jesus calls him, a man in whom there is no deceit, what would a man like Nathaniel be thinking and praying about under a fig tree? He was a true Israelite. And yet Jesus almost goes out of his way to say, Nathaniel is not like Jacob. Remember his story in the Old Testament? Jacob was a twin brother. And and, and what kind of made the story really unique is that Jacob was born second, yet we're told that when he was born, he came out after his brother grabbing onto the heel of his brother Esau. And so his parents named him Jacob. Heel-grabber, that's what that name means. Deceiver. The one who trips other people up. And Jacob's life would go on to really bear that out. Jacob's whole life was one that was kind of marked by deceit. He deceived his own father. He deceived his brother multiple times. He deceived his uncle time after time. His entire life just seemed to be going from one scheme to the next because Jacob thought, that he had to scrap and claw and work out for himself whatever challenges and issues he encountered in his life and he did that because Jacob did not believe that God saw his issues and if he did he didn't have the desire to fix them Jacob knew the promises of God But he was never convinced that God could actually keep those promises, at least not without a little help from Jacob. And so all of that changed with Jacob, when God literally wrestled him into relying on the promises of God. So what would a person like that think or pray about? under a tree like that. There's really only two ways to think about life and how you carry it out and live it. Either you scrap and claw like Jacob and you try to work out your guilt and sin and, and hurt yourself, or you trust that God can do it for you. You can either be a Jacob, or you can be what God made Jacob to be. After God wrestled with Jacob, he renamed him Israel. He wasn't the one who was now going to be grabbing onto the heel of his brother, tripping other people up. But Israel, he is going to be the one who grabs onto the promises of God, who wrestles with and struggles with God, yet clings to him in spite of everything. else. And in Nathaniel, Jesus sees a true Israelite. He sees a genuine wrestler. He sees someone who struggles to hold onto God's promises. And so, what would someone like that be thinking about and praying about under a fig tree? Well, I think there are some obvious options. Maybe it was his job. We're not exactly told what Nathaniel did, but most of the disciples were fishermen. So maybe it was Nathaniel after a long day out on the Sea of Galilee, and having come in with very little to no fish, and coming home and realizing he made no money that day, struggling and wrestling with God. I know that you promised to provide for me and my family, but I'm just not seeing it. Maybe it was his marriage. Maybe when he got home and he didn't have any money and he didn't bring any food and he really had nothing to show for his day's work, maybe his wife just started in on him right away. And so Nathaniel went out and he sat under a fig tree and he said, Lord, this woman you gave me would have mercy on me. Maybe it was politics, maybe as Nathaniel looked out at the Roman Empire there in Judea. He saw just godless people running their lives. Maybe he looked out and recognized how idolatrous Israel had become for the Romans. Maybe he struggled with all of that. And and he prayed, Lord, you know, you promised to come and set your people free. When are you going to do it? or maybe it was just himself. Maybe Nathaniel was really just his own issue, his worst problem. He'd reflect on what he had learned in synagogue. and He said something like, Lord, I know what your laws about uncleanness mean. It means that everything I touch, I taint, because I'm single because I am unclean. Lord, when are you going to come and make the sacrifice to end all sacrifices and and finally make me clean? I wonder. Maybe all of it led to some of those really big questions that every person is eventually faced with, regardless of their different stations in life. Maybe it even led to a question like, Lord, Can there even be salvation for a person like me? And then I started to think about all of the people that I've sat with throughout my life underneath the fig tree. Cynics, skeptics, atheists, agnostics, even Christians who aren't so sure Their struggle isn't some deep, sophisticated, intellectual argument about why they don't believe in or why they are doubting God. No, if you listen to them, if you really listen to them, what they say is something like, I've got a sinful past and I don't think God can forgive it. Or they've experienced some sort of great injustice in their life and they don't think God has the power to fix it or they suffered some deep hurt, and they're convinced that God doesn't care about us. And all of those lead them to the point of just stopping to wrestle with God altogether. You ever sat under that tree, whether by yourself or with someone else, struggling, wondering, does God even see me? Does He even care? If you sit under a tree like that for a while, then I think it starts to make sense why Jesus' words had such a life-altering impact on Nathaniel. To hear Jesus say, "Nathaniel, I saw you. I saw you. Do you even realize how much we need to hear that? If you somehow have forgotten how important that is, then I would encourage you soon just to spend an afternoon, an hour even, with a child and keep track of how many times they say to you, look, before they do something, anything, because they know the power in a look. And they know the love that is communicated when someone is there to pay attention to you. And we look and we see that in a child, and yet the reality is we never really grow out of it. Children teach, they remind us, how much we need to be seen. And so, Jesus comes to Nathaniel, he comes to me, he comes to you, and he says, I see you. He sees the the transparent you, the vulnerable you, the grieving you, the sinful you. He sees the angry you, and in seeing you, he also communicates how much he loves you, all of you. Not just the the Sunday morning you, the, the polished you that gets all cleaned up to go out in public to be seen by others. He sees and loves the you that's a complete mess the you that is weighed down by sin and guilt, the you that is torn apart by grief, the you that is terrified by death. And Jesus, who is the omniscient God, comes to you and says, I saw you. I always have and I always will. And when Nathaniel saw and heard Jesus say that, everything changed. And that's when he said, You are the God who sees. You are the God who cares. You are the one who was to come, the Son of God, the King of Israel. It's this amazing moment that Jesus, surprisingly, just sort of brushes off. Did you notice that? I mean, to hear a confession like that, you almost sort of expect Jesus to go, Ding ding ding, Nathaniel, you nailed it. What do we have for him? But he doesn't. No, he actually downplays it. He says, No, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. Because Nathaniel wasn't all the way there yet. Nathaniel had more things, or as Jesus put it, Nathaniel had greater things to see than that. Because the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news about who He is and what He's done for you, is not just that you are seen. It's not just that He notices you. It's that when Jesus sees you, He doesn't look away. When Jesus looks and sees the things in your life that would make your grandmother roll over in her grave, he doesn't look away. He never looks away. And you know how I know that? Because the final scene that Jesus gives us in this account is a Biblical scene that was first given to, of all people, Jacob. The deceiver. Here's what Jesus said, Nathaniel, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending, and here's a title for Jesus, on the Son of Man. That scene, that picture, that was Jacob's scene. The guy who was deceiving and wrecking people's lives left and right, who was wrecking his own life, constantly on the run, scrapping and clawing his way through life because he didn't think God saw him or that he cared. This was Jacob's scene. At the end of his wrestling match with God, Jacob is given this vision as he sees heaven open and this ladder, this staircase, reaching from earth to heaven and angels were going up and down on it. And God gives that vision to Jacob, before he gives him the name Israel, meaning he gives that vision of heaven being open to the deceiver. To the deceiving. And here's why that's important. Because even when your life more resembles Jacob, when you got doubt and cynicism and sin that creeps into your life, when you are afraid that Jesus doesn't see you, and if He does, you are convinced that He most certainly will look away, you need to know that that is the you that Jesus ministers to. That that is the you that Jesus calls. That Jesus has opened heaven to that you. This was Jacob's scene, but there was one thing that was different from Jacob's story to here in John chapter 1. Something was missing when Jesus retold it. Did you catch where it was? There's no ladder in Jesus recounting of the story. Why not? Because in Jesus, heaven had now come down to earth. The traveling was done. Jesus traveled to forgive the deceit. Jesus traveled to give rest to the struggle. Or to put it in terms of trees, Jesus came to take everything under your fig tree and to nail it to the tree of a cross. Brothers and sisters, come and see that come and see Jesus come and see the one who doesn't just see you but the one who comes so close to you that he actually became you see the one who although he had no sin of his own yet became your sin became sin for you that in him through faith in Him, by believing in Him and trusting in Him, you become the righteousness of God. In other words, in Jesus, heaven is open for you. And that is the greater thing. Friends, I don't know what a modern-day fig tree looks like for you. They're probably different for each of us. Maybe you don't even have one. It can be hard to find a quiet place these days to reflect without any distractions. Maybe for some of you it's on your commute where things just flip through your mind. Or maybe it's beside your bed before you turn out the lights. Maybe it's when you're in the shower because it's the only place you don't take your phone with you and so you're forced to just stand there and think for a while. Or maybe it's here, the place where you look beyond the pretty, and you're forced to wrestle with the you that you don't want anyone else to see. Friends to that you, Jesus says, "I see, and I'm not looking away." And that is why I came. That is why I'm here. And if you hear that from Jesus today, and you are able to see that in Jesus today, then hear this too. You will see even greater things than that. Jesus is not done with you. Until you see heaven open, and you hear the voice of Jesus say, here is a true israelite in whom there is nothing false heaven is open for you welcome home and there will be no more trees, no more questions no more struggles no more grief no more hurt no more doubts no more sin to deal with no more wrestling all of it will be forgiven and forgotten forever and you will finally, fully see, just as fully as the Lord God sees you now. The Lord hasten that day for our benefit and your glory. Amen.